Please turn with me in our Bibles this evening to the book of Genesis. For those who are joining us, uh, this uh, we have started a new series in our evenings together, and we are looking at the life of Jacob uh, as it's recorded for us in the book of Genesis. And we've already uh, looked at something of the oracle of Jacob, uh, a word that was declared even before Jacob and Esau were born, how God's purposes to bless uh, were ultimately directed according to his grace. And last time we looked at uh, um, the blessing uh, that Jacob uh, stole away from Esau and uh, how he uh, deceived his father in the process. But this evening we want to turn to Genesis chapter 28 and we're looking at verses 10 uh, to the end of the chapter. So Genesis chapter 28 on page 22 and beginning our reading at verse 10. This is God's word. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I may come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. We share our stories uh, with one another all the time. Uh, anytime someone asks you a question uh, about your life experience, some of the choices that you've made, uh, whether it is uh, the hobbies that you form, maybe it's a job that you've taken, uh, they ask you, how did you come uh, to make that choice? How is it that you came uh, to do that? Uh, and once you begin to answer that question, you're sharing something of your own story. You're able to trace 
the different factors that came into making that choice. But in a similar way, we can, when we think about the life of faith, what does it mean to be a believer? If you ask a Christian, how is it that you became a Christian? Or how is it that you became a follower of the Lord Jesus? You're asking someone to share their story with you, a part of their story. What, what led them in that direction? And anyone who has come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can begin to trace the Lord's work in their hearts. And while every person's story will be unique, because everyone has unique experiences and God works uniquely through our experiences, yet you'll also see there is commonality uh, in every person's story that lives a life of faith. They had an encounter with God. They had an encounter with God's grace. And this evening, as we're turning back to look at Jacob, we're really looking at how this man came to be a man of faith. How is it that this man, who is a schemer, a deceiver, a liar, how is it that this man came to be part of the fold of God in, in a saving way? And we want to see that it's because Jacob met with God. And it is that encounter with the living God that transforms his life. That's a commonality that characterizes every believer. And so this evening, as we're looking at Jacob's dream, we want to see that because the Lord shows his grace uh, towards undeserving sinners, that we are to find our hope in God's promised blessings. We want to look at these verses, this chapter really, in two thoughts. We want to think about the dream that Jacob has. But then secondly, we want to think briefly about the effect of that dream. What does that dream do to Jacob? First, uh, we want to look at uh, the dream that Jacob uh, himself had had. As mentioned already, uh, Jacob had deceived his own father. You remember that he had pretended to be his older brother Esau. He had put on Esau's clothes. He had identified himself as Esau when his father asked who he was. Uh, he, he, he was doing that in order to, to steal away the blessing from his older brother. But while Jacob was successful in deceiving his father, you remember Isaac pronounced the blessing of God on him. May the, the blessing of, uh, of Abraham, may the God of Abraham bless you and your offspring. Nevertheless, Jacob's scheme ultimately created a mess. His brother hated him and wanted to kill him. Jacob was going to be estranged from his family as a result of this. He was going to be a fugitive, having to flee his own homeland. He was going to have to live apart from his family. And so the fallout of his actions were going to be grave and long-standing. But it is in this context that we see that Rebecca also has another plan. Rebecca comes up with another plan to send Jacob on his way. And it is the fact that she doesn't want Jacob to marry one of the Hittite women. Instead, she, she tells Isaac that she wants her son to go and to marry from her relatives, from Laban's family, from the region of Padamaram. And so at the beginning of this chapter, you notice that Isaac sends Jacob away. He sends him away with the blessing. But he also sends him away in order to go and to take a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. 
And so now Jacob is faced with the consequences of his own trickery. He has lost his family and he is forced to leave the land of promise. So there's much uncertainty in Jacob's life. He is faced with losing things now, his family, his home place, his future. But it is in this context that he is going to meet with his God. As Jacob makes his journey uh, up towards the region of Padamaran, uh, it is a, a great distance. It, it is in the north and it is over 600 kilometers away. This journey of Jacob would take over a month for him to travel. But it is early on in this travel that he comes to meet with God uh, through this, this dream. And so uh, uh, we're told uh, about how it happens. In verse 11, it tells us that he came to a certain place and stayed there the night because the sun had set. Uh, he was stopping not because this was the most comfortable place uh, or because this was the most secure place. He was stopping because the sun was setting and it was no longer safe to travel. But then taking a stone, trying to make himself as comfortable as possible, Jacob went to sleep that evening with a stone pillow. But during that time, we're told that he has a dream. Dreams are part of our ordinary experience. And dreams are fascinating in a number of ways because what goes into our dreams is a multitude of factors. Our dreams are a combination of our, our desires, our wishes. Our dreams are also influenced by what we receive, what we observe during our active hours of the day when we're observing the world around us. That can be feeding our dreams. Our dreams can also be factored by body signals even when we are asleep. And so we're still receiving messages that can shape and form our dreams. And so there are many things that can go into what shapes our dreams. And yet, it's what makes uh, our dreams fascinating is, is that we're in a more passive stance than during our waking hours. During our waking hours, we're much more directing our thoughts. We're much more conscientious about our thoughts and directing them as we will. But when we're dreaming, we become a little bit more passive in that respect. But here, this is no ordinary dream. This isn't simply due to what Jacob has seen during the day or Jacob's desires. Uh, it's not even shaped by body signals. But rather, as has happened at different times in history, God meets with people by way of dreams. And that is what is happening here. It's in this passive stance where Jacob is on the receiving end that God comes to meet with Jacob and he will make himself known to Jacob. What did Jacob see in his dream? We want to see that he saw something in his dream and he heard something in his dream. What Jacob saw was three things. He saw a ladder or we could translate that as a staircase. Uh, there is a ladder. What does a ladder do? What does a staircase function? A staircase is what allows you to move from one level, one point, to another point, an elevated point. It allows you to have access to different points, different areas, different destinations. It serves as a bridge between lower and higher. And this staircase is not between 
the basement and the main level. It's not a bridge between the first story and the second story. This staircase that Jacob sees, we're told, is bridging the gap between earth, where it is at one point, and heaven, where it is at the other point. This staircase really serves to, to make a way of access between these two destinations, these two points. And so Jacob sees something that is overcoming that, that barrier, that, that gap, that separation between heaven and earth. That's a, that's a huge thing that Jacob has seen there because it challenges one of the assumptions of our modern secular age. What does it mean to say secular? It means to speak about this world only. It is to live simply with reference to what you can see and touch and taste and feel. And that is the mindset of our world. That it's not even so much of challenging the existence of God, but rather that many people act as though it is inappropriate to go beyond that question of God's existence. That if there is a God, he would not interact with this world. That we cannot know him because he is beyond this world. There is this gap that exists between God and his creation. And so there is no point trying to contemplate God. And there's no way for God to interact with us. Because he is of a different level. He is of a different plane. Jacob here sees a dream where he is seeing heaven and earth bridge together. That these two levels are not so far separated that there is no way of uh, connecting them, but rather just the reverse. There is a way of access. God is not a God who is so disconnected from his creation, but one who has provided an access point where we can find help. If we think about the world we live in, many people will operate on the assumption that there is no God to call out to for help. That there is no God who interacts with this world. That we should just live our lives without reference to God. That's an assumption. But it's not an argument. That's an assumption that people operate on. We must live our lives without reference to God. We must not make reference to God. We must live our lives basing everything without any appeal to God. Assumptions. But if there is a God, if there is a first cause to that which has brought all of creation into effect, then what is so hard to believe that the God who created all things can find a way to overcome that gap, that separation with his creation? That God who created all things would find a way to be able to communicate with his creatures. To be able to reach down, to bridge himself so that he would be known. And if we ask ourselves, if there is a God, why wouldn't he create to communicate himself to us? If God would create all of life, then he would communicate and reveal himself to his creation. And so we have to, we have to really challenge the assumption that we are fed so much in our world today. 
that simply lives as though it's impolite to think about God or it's impolite to talk about God. We don't do that. We just act as though God was not. Here is Jacob being given a dream where he is seeing a staircase between heaven and earth. It's telling him that there is a way of access to God. God has made himself known and that there is a source of help. But secondly, not only does he see a ladder, we're told that he sees angels ascending and descending on that staircase. That's a curious detail. Because if you were going to record this yourself, you would probably not say it the way that Genesis says it. What is an angel? An angel is a ministering servant sent out to do the bidding of the Lord. An angel goes out to execute the will of God or to proclaim the message of God. And if you think about a ministering servant of God, the domain of the angelic realm is in the domain of God's courtroom. They are sent out from God's court, from the throne of God, to do the bidding of God. That is how scripture talks about angels. So if you were going to describe this vision, you would describe it as the opposite. You would say, and they saw angels descending and ascending on that staircase. But it doesn't say that. And it's even more curious that when you get to the New Testament, which we read in John's Gospel, you remember that when Jesus is speaking with Nathaniel, what does Jesus himself say? He follows that same order. You will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If we're going to see any significance in that, it seems most likely that what is to be derived from that is, is that Jacob is to learn that God's protection is not something promised in the future. It's something that has already been. The angels that go out doing the bidding of God have already been present with Jacob. They were there while Jacob was deceiving his brother, while he was deceiving his father. They were there protecting him from the intentions of his brother's heart. That Jacob has been living his life, going through all his schemes. God has been there. That it's not as though this gap that exists between heaven and earth is something that will be overcome. But rather that God has been present with him. That he has sent out his servants. And they are ascending and descending. And so here we're being uh, shown uh, something else of this vision. Not only is there an access point, but these servants doing the bidding of God are already uh, ascending up and descending down. The third thing that he sees is, is that the Lord stood above it. Or if we translate it another way, the Lord stood upon it. In either case, the point is, is that the Lord himself is the help. That the Lord himself makes himself uh, uh, to serve as the function of that staircase. It points to the Lord. So Jacob has a dream here, but it's not a dream that has reference to what he is observing in this world. It's not a dream about uh, uh, even his desires or his wishes. This is something different. God is showing Jacob something. He's showing him that there is something overcoming the barrier between heaven and earth. 
a staircase, a staircase of God's own, that God's servants minister in and through this staircase, and that it is the Lord himself that this staircase is pointing to. But Jacob also hears a message through this dream. It says in verses 13 through 15, And behold, the Lord stood above it and, and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, the God of, Isaac, uh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. That's a, an echo of God's promise to Abraham. You remember that's what God promised him, that he would bless him and his offspring, and that he would make them numerous like the dust of the earth. But what is striking here is, is that God's promise now is being directed towards Jacob. Abraham was a man of faith. But when we come to Jacob, we see a schemer. We're seeing a deceiver. We're seeing someone who lied to his own father. We're seeing someone who was willing to manipulate his own brother. We're seeing someone who would invoke God's name in order to get what he wanted. If anything, we would expect when God speaks to Jacob, it would be cursing. That God would come with judgment to Jacob. But instead, God comes to Jacob announcing the very opposite. Because God's blessing is not something that Jacob earns. It's not based on anything that Jacob did. Rather, it was something that God had purposed even before Jacob was born. That God's blessing is by grace. And so he comes and he communicates to Jacob the blessings of God, the promise of Abraham being communicated to him. And it's at this point that God meets with him. Now that Jacob has made a mess of everything, he's a fugitive. He's lost his mother. His brother hates him. He's estranged from his own land. His future is uncertain. He's vulnerable on his journey of over 600 kilometers to the north. Now when everything looks terrible, God meets with him and communicates his favor upon him. That God makes himself known and communicates his blessing so that Jacob would understand it's not by human cunning that he will be blessed, but according to God's sovereign mercy. The Lord not only communicates or reiterates the promise of Abraham, but he promises his protection over him in verse 15. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you will go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. This reinforces the meaning of the dream, that the latter is a symbol of the theme God with us. The latter connects heaven and earth, and it highlights the intention of God to be with us to bless not only did Jacob do nothing to deserve this promise, but Jacob is pictured as not even looking for it. When he wakes up, he says, Behold, God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. That Jacob was not in, uh, looking for God, but was living unaware of the Lord's presence. 
We can be guilty of the same thing, though. We can be living our life focused on issue after issue that is facing us, all that is coming next. But we can very easily slip into the same mindset where we act as though there is a great chasm between heaven and earth, where we act as though there is no access point to God's help, where we, where we approach the things that are before us as though God was not. That is the definition of being secular. That we can live our lives without appealing to God for help and looking to the Lord for strength. That we can be living uh, as though there is, no, uh, there is no bridge or no access point to God's help. But we are to see instead that God is a God who does make himself known. A God who has uh, revealed himself and has promised his help. We already read from John's gospel. But you remember that Philip went and found Nathanael. And he said, we have found the one who is spoken of in, by Moses and the prophets. We found the Messiah. Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And as he comes, you remember Jesus addresses Nathanael. And what does he say? He says, behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What's he saying? He's comparing him with his ancestor. His ancestor was a deceiver. But here's an Israelite in, him, in whom there is no deception. Jesus knows this Nathaniel. When Nathaniel's taken back by saying, how do you even know who I am? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel's convinced this must be the son of God. This must be the promised king of Israel. And Jesus says, if you think this is impressive, you will see even greater things. You will see angels ascending and descending on the son of man. What was Jesus saying there? Jesus was claiming to be the ladder to God. He was claiming to be the staircase to heaven. Jesus was claiming to be the help of God towards sinners. So that when we recognize the mess that we have committed, the mess that we create through our own sins, that we would not be crushed to the point of despair, but so that we would be able to see there is a God who helps. So that we would recognize that God is a God who meets us and who does so by his grace in order to save us from our sins. Jacob was a sinner, but God reached out to him by this dream, saying there is a bridge between heaven and earth. God is a God who helps, and he has shown that help. But God has come to us in Jesus, and Jesus has claimed that to be the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And here we say, we see a way in which we can be made right with God. There is help for our sins. There is hope for our guilt. By looking to the one who has come to be the help uh, from heaven. This is what Jacob was to respond to. And when Jacob awakens, he recognizes God has been in this place. Are we living our lives 
asleep. Asleep as though God were not. When God is present. Are we living our lives as if there is no help from God? When God has sent his son into this world. To bring sinners to heaven. Are we living as though there is no hope and help. When God has committed himself. To be that help. In Jesus Christ. This dream that was given to Jacob is teaching him about God. And it transforms this schemer into a saint. And you notice the effect that it does have on him. The effect is both in terms of what he expresses, in terms of dedication, but also in terms of uh, what is shown. In verses 21, uh, we see how he responds. Uh, Early in the morning, Jacob uh, took up the stone that he had put under his head. He poured oil on it, consecrating it, recognizing this is not just some place. You go back to verse 11. You notice three times there it says some place, a certain place, the place where he was laying. It's just a place, but it's not just a place. That this place is where he meets with God. It's only now that it tells us this was a a place. This was a place that had a name. It was called Luz. But to Jacob, this is now known as House of God. This This is now known as Gate of Heaven. Because this is where he met with his God. And so Jacob's life now is shaped in response to this encounter. And you see it in the way that he responds of following it. It says uh, uh, in verse 20 that he made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. We could read that and think this sounds like bargaining. It sounds like he's saying, if you do this, then I'll do that, like a contract. But that's not how Jacob is talking. One, because it doesn't fit the context. But secondly, because the Hebrew mind, as it's articulating these things, it is building. It's saying, since these things are so, therefore, it is, it is, it is operating on the guarantee that God's promise is certain. If God has promised this, therefore, I will live this way. And so you see this dedication coming out in Jacob in a vow that he is making, that he dedicates himself to the Lord. He will be his God. But notice something significant here. When he says his vow, if God will be with me, uh, then the Lord shall be my God. Do you remember when he deceived his father? His father asked him a question. He said, tell me how you found the meat so quickly. And Jacob lied by saying, the Lord, your God, gave me success. Jacob was prepared to lie by invoking God's name, but he spoke about God in a very careful way. He said, the Lord, your God, granted me success. Jacob could talk about God, but only at a distance. He could talk about God, but only on impersonal terms. Your God. But here, notice, when Jacob talks about God, he talks about him on a personal level. Then the Lord will be my God. 
Can you say that this evening? Can you say the Lord is my God? Can you say that you live the life you live dedicated to the God that you believe in? That's the language of faith. It's not just talking theoretically, abstractly, impersonally. The life of faith is dedicated to a personal being. And that personal being is in covenant relationship. That we live devoted to God. Can you say, I believe in the God of Abraham. And he is my God in Jesus Christ. That's faith. That's the language of faith. And that's the language we should be using when we confess and profess saving faith. So you see that that dedication being expressed when he says, the Lord, my God. But you also see that dedication shown. In verse 22, it says, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will give you a full tenth of it. Uh, You see here uh, uh, the practice uh, of giving one-tenth of his produce, something that would become implemented in the nation of Israel's practice uh, in their their own regulations in time. And we see in the New Testament, the New Testament emphasizes the practice of being generous. But we see here this voluntary gift of a tenth by, by Jacob, that he's willing to give, Uh, a portion of his proceeds to the Lord, showing his dedication to God. And while the New Testament doesn't explicitly teach the carrying on of that tradition, it does teach the principle of being generous uh, with what the Lord has given to us. But what is important about that verse is what it says about Jacob. Who is Jacob? Jacob is Caesar, is the one who seizes He's the one who extends his hand. That's that's the mindset of his name. He has overreached himself. He has grabbed for himself. But now there's a new principle in Jacob. Instead of simply grabbing to get, you see a new principle being woven in where Jacob is willing to give. That he's not only thinking about himself, but now he recognizes the importance of uh, giving something back to God. A new principle that characterizes his life. And so you see the effect of this dream on the way he lives when he wakes up and he expresses his devotion to God, calling him my God, and being willing to give rather than simply being absorbed and taking. There's a story to every believer's life. What caused them to follow the Lord? But every believer will have the same common thread, an encounter with God's grace, an encounter with the living God. And we find the living God not simply by way of dreams, but God has made, made himself known in and through the Lord Jesus, who is the way unto the Father. He is the help of God for sinners. He is the one who has come to give us the blessings of God that are promised. And those promises are not just for the moral, but for the schemers, the deceivers, and sinners. Have you tasted of God's grace? 
That's what changes a person. When they can recognize they are sinners, but they also recognize God's grace is available to them. Jacob's dream was fulfilled when the Lord took on flesh and when he dwelt among us. And now we live the life of faith, trusting in Jesus' words, I am with you always, even unto the end of the ages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, this dream uh, that was given to Jacob, we pray, Lord, that it would challenge the way that we think about the living God, that we would not be uh, um, so uh, shaped by our, our cultural moorings that we think it impossible for the living God to be able to make himself known or to be able to stoop down and to interact with his world. We thank you that you are the God who is uh, a God of help and the God who has bridged uh, the chasm between heaven and earth, uh, between uh, a holy God and sinful creatures. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is that staircase, who is that expression of grace uh, towards sinners. So go before us, we pray, and consecrate us that we would be people who are able to say that you are our God and that we are dedicated to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.